Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 134 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Becca. Hi Becca, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm in great form today. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sun, isn't it? Or maybe it's just you, maybe you're just great. Uh, a bit of both, a bit of both. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the weather is good, that's always a plus. Yeah, yeah. And how are you, Anna? I am. Um, yeah, also, also pretty great. Pretty great. So well, many. Well, with it. <laughs> yeah, so many great today, and I am great because I have got my wine as we record. It is two o'clock in the afternoon, and on a Thursday, and yeah, so I am equally great. So time all round. I just love the transparency. The authenticity of this. It's amazing. <laughs> Do you know what? Right, I used to. When I used to do things at night, so I would do a live or whatever, I would have a glass of wine with dinner. But then when I would do the live, I would never actively drink a glass of wine on a live or something. And then we did, I think I said this recently, we did some filtered like um, event in lockdown. And I remember Alan Flanagan, who's one of my good friends, and he's one of the smartest people I know drinking wine and on the live. And I thought, screw it. Red wine's great. It's filled with polyphenols. It's, it's like helps me be mindful with my food sometimes because it makes me taste things properly and then I was like screw it I drink wine and if I want to drink wine <laughs> I'm gonna do it so now I don't really mind so much I mean I'm not drunk all the time but on a Thursday afternoon when the sun is shining and I've just been for a walk with my friend or for lunch and I'm like no do you know what let's get this wine on the go um I'm only two steps down, so, you know, let's see how this pod goes. <laughs> yeah, are we saying the same in 45 minutes? <laughs> I know, because I don't really drink much anymore either. I'm just having a bit of a spell of drinking, like allowing myself to have alcohol again before I cut it back out again for fertility stuff. So it, it, like two steps and I'm like, whoa, great. I'm having a great time. Exactly. So um we'll see how this goes. Anyway, let's crack on with questions. Anna, do you want to go first this week? Uh sure. Um okay. With a new schedule change recently, I'm finding it difficult to settle into spreading my meals equally throughout the day, both in timing and in sizing. This has definitely disrupted my ability to gauge my hunger and fullness levels throughout the day, as I often find I'm eating more out of necessity than physical hunger. For example, eating a pre-workout before an early lifting session. Just, just to clarify, the this client is well, she's she's having recovery cycles, settling into a normal rhythm after HA. Um, this makes logistics of my previous eating pattern of every three to four hours near impossible. I fear this has created some overeating tendencies in the sense that I'm not mindful enough to gauge when I've had enough food versus simply eating on autopilot. Any tips for better managing the more scattered eating patterns, particularly how to, how to become better in tune with hunger fullness cues during a time of less structure? Hmm. I'm actually, oh, go for it. I had a similar conversation this morning and like 
we were, we were just talking about how at the beginning it's super important to have that structure there and to make sure you are adhering but then there comes a time where you can start trusting a bit more um and I think that transition can be quite tough because it's like you've programmed yourself into the strategic way and then you're transitioning out so it's like a new way again so if you've got your cycles back am I hearing that right yeah 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 and it's like three down the line did you say <laughs> I make that up okay so yeah so like th- that there comes a time then when you can transition over to being more intuitive and listening to your hunger and fullness that bit more but I think it's still important to have structure there just for yourself especially if you get busy and you forget and that kind of stuff but allowing yourself to be a bit more flexible and tune in a bit more as well and practicing that and as you practice it it will become more natural again like anything yeah Yeah, I think the thing is is that you're you're in the question how do I get how do I get more in tune with my hunger and fullness you are in tune with your hunger and fullness and that's why you're struggling it's not because you're not in tune with them it's because you are and you're having to eat when you're not actually hungry or or eat when you're hungry and you're eating a little bit a little bit past fullness um so if anything you are actually really in tune with them so that is a positive thing not a negative and it's hard when it's really easy for us right who work at home and like plan our schedules to say like realistically we can eat pretty regularly there might be times when it's thrown off but realistically like usually we can but there are times when you can and it's really easy for us to say oh just be mindful just eat hunger and fullness it's like well cool story bro but I'm actually working for six hours and I don't get a break and I definitely had this when I was lecturing and I would be in labs for three or four hours and then straight into a lecture and things and and it honestly you just have to kind of let go your desire to be perfect with your hunger and fullness and just say I'm going to eat a little bit more right now I did it before this podcast because I know that we've got like meetings and I knew that I wasn't really hungry but I knew that I'd be starving halfway through the podcast and I did I hate doing meetings and stuff when I'm hungry so I just had another protein bar and some fruit even though I wasn't really hungry because it it was in anticipation of what was to come and that's mindful in the sense of you're mindful of what your day is looking like and you're mindful of your routine you're mindful of what you've got access to yeah it's still like it, it comes down to like the practical eating side of it doesn't it like you say when you know that you might not have access to food for a while having something to tide you tide you over but I mean I'm thinking I see this so often when people first start in we've spoken about it before like you make the the meals the most mindful meal that it can be in the and and it, that becomes like a way to channel your perfectionism and now everything's going through a bit of change that perfectionist is like oh well I'm I'm losing the structure that I've created that makes me feel really really good and again this is about challenging that way of thinking and like Becca was saying becoming that bit more flexible and because cycles are now settling into something regular you can have a bit more leeway with things and maybe with the new structure instead of eating kind of four, six times a day, you have three bigger meals and a snack later on or that sort of thing. And and just finding what's going to be most beneficial for you right now. And that might look different to how it did look before, but that's no bad thing. Mm, Agree. Uh, Becca, question. Okay. So I'm ADHD and autistic, recently diagnosed. It's hard to navigate the world sometimes. Am I, am I, 
Sorry, I thought I could hear something there. I was like, am I mute? Um, it's hard to navigate the world sometimes, but my question about self-acceptance and how to accept the differences I have. I often get trapped in the cycle of hiding who I am and then feel unworthy or, or like I'm not good enough because of the differences. So how do I accept that when I feel like I always need to mask myself to fit in? Hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, I've started screenshotting loads of emails, by the way, where people say, like, although DM me, sorry for messaging or apologies for asking. And then I'm going to screenshot them all because I'm going to do a reel of them all. Just all of these hundreds of people saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. I say message me and then you apologize for messaging me. Or like this, it makes perfect sense. And then you're like, sorry, if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it does make sense. Every message I send you, I'm like, just uh, delete that. And then <laughs> <laughs> Amelia, every time I'm like, this is my, it's like rewiring myself. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. It does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. But it's definitely something that you have to work on. Sometimes I say it still. And then I'm like, and then I have to say, is that a useful question to ask? Because sometimes it's a useful question. Um, I think it's a great question. What I would say is, I'm not saying this is an imperfection. I'm definitely not. But there is a book by Brene called The Gifts of Imperfection, which I think would be a really great book for you to read. So I would recommend that you do read that. It's one of her older ones. I think it's really easy to get caught up in what you think your flaws are or what you think is different about you and trying to accept that. But remember that everyone every single person on this planet except narcissistic pigs think that there's something wrong with them in some way like that's it's partly societal like we've it's capitalism right they make money of us thinking something's wrong with us us thinking something's wrong with us but we all think that we're a little bit weird or we all think that something is not right with us in some way and you have a label for yours which can be really helpful but it's it, and and like something like ADHD and autism may, be, may well be like tougher to deal with than what someone else is feeling like is their kind of quote unquote like thing that they have to accept right but we all have them and it's look like self-acceptance is about well it's about accepting in this in the space of all of these things right and accepting that we are all different and the way that you have shown up on this earth is the way that you were built to show up on this earth and I think the way that you are is serving a purpose for yourself for people around you and would you still be able to show up in the way that you do for people around you and do the job that you do if you didn't have these traits that you have as a result of autism and ADHD potentially not a really good example of this is you know a lot of entrepreneurs have ADHD and would I think I don't know who the famous ones are I'm not going to make it up because I feel like someone like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or someone, but I could totally be wrong. But they probably wouldn't have changed the world or become billionaires if they didn't have ADHD. And certainly not me diminishing it as something that is a challenge, but it definitely, I think sometimes framing these things as these things are this way because it allows you to show up the way that you do and, and do the good that you do is quite helpful. Like, I think it's the same as disordered eating and stuff. If I didn't if I didn't start having disordered eating habits when I was young because of the changes that my life was going through and then I didn't fall into really crappy choices throughout my 20s I wouldn't do the job that I do now and I wouldn't have the purpose that I do now 
And I could easily look back and be like, oh, I wish I didn't sometimes overeat still, or I wish I didn't do all these things still, but I wouldn't be the person I am if I didn't have those things. So I think sometimes looking at it like that can be quite helpful, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on that. She's definitely using um, like certain traits to her strength now, which is really, really nice to see. And being more open with people around her around the difficulties and why it's more difficult. Um, but yeah, I love that. What did you say? The way you are is the way you were meant to be or built to be on this earth. Like, I love that. It's so true because we're working on like self-worth and you are you type messages, which... Mm and it can sometimes feel cliche right to, to yeah. say stuff like that but it but it is true like we're all unique and weird and different and we're here to be unique and weird and different and I think it would be surprising for people to know that like I think I think actually me and my best mate were talking about this literally last night of we were, saying, we were like why do we always fall in love with men who are autistic we love men who are autistic and, and so like it's a character trait that we just love in people and and we're I, I think I think it's so easy to look at things as negative things when actually sometimes they can be the most beautiful thing one of my best friends and most successful people I know is has ADHD and I think that's you're just incredible and, and it's got nothing to do with her ADHD but part of that is why she is the way that she is so reframing it sounds really trivial and these cliche things sound really trivial but sometimes it just keeps it's about just reiterating that message over and over again until you get to the place where you can finally go okay yeah I can accept that even if you don't feel like that all the time yeah it takes time to get to that place other doesn't it like I remember I was in a cognitive behavioral therapy session and the therapist was like I love being dyslexic and I was like why because you can like can be an excuse to get everything spelled wrong and she's like no because I'm so creative like you know she completely flipped it on its head whereas mm -hmm. like it's so embarrassing blah, blah, blah. um and I just went straight to oh why because you can justify things but she's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I like that that's such a CBT thing isn't it like well cognitive reframing obviously is such a CBT thing yeah. I like that Okay, Steph's question. <clears throat> How to stop seeing healthy eating, living, focus on body weight as a part of your identity? I feel like I often identify myself this way to others. And I think I have for a long time taken pride and perhaps even felt slightly superior at times because of this. I know seeing myself this way does not serve me and is not a particularly empathetic character trait, but I still struggle to let go of this mindset. It sounds like there's like lots of conditioning of I'm doing really well because I'm able to restrict as much as I am. It's restriction we're talking about, isn't it? Kind of coming away from that mindset. I think possibly, yeah. Just having the focus on, well, it says you're healthy and living and body weight. Right. You're just yeah. being like the, the fit, I guess the fit one. Fit one, yeah. Yeah, so it is conditioning really, and it's like what diet culture has told you forever, what's you know really desirable and what you should be achieving and aiming for. So it's about now recognizing that. How do I break that cycle of this pattern of I'm doing good if I'm eating clean and not letting the chains off myself? Um, which I'm sure you're working through with Steph. Mm -hmm. I was going to say also, like, 
everybody always thinks that health is your nutrition and fitness, but obviously the way we coach is for flourishing health. And that also includes your social life, your relationships, having fun, all the other bits. So maybe it's worth kind of focusing on that side of things as well. And what can you add to, to health? Mm, that's such a good point because to me, the healthy one of my friends or people that I know are not the people who are the leanest. They're not the people that spend the most time in the gym. They're not the people that that wear the matching gym outfits. Like that's not who they are. The healthy ones to me are the people that go out for dinner and socialize, like you said, Anna, or like take enough time to sleep and to rest and to prioritize self-care and take weekends by themselves and take holidays and and go to the gym or exercise in the way that they love regularly and eat predominantly healthful foods and also eat a pizza and also drink a day wine those are the healthiest people and so if you do want like we don't we obviously do we encourage people to not have that as their identity and we we don't want you to identify with these things and I think in general if you feel like you identify with any of these external things again another book recommendation is um a new earth but Tolle or Eckhart Tolle I don't know how you say his surname um but he talks a lot about identifying with all of these egoic things and how it's all like that's not who you are you are you are yourself and he's also the one that talks a lot about how you are not the voices in your head and detachment from those things so again I would recommend reading that book in general um but like you said Becca it is we have been conditioned to think that leaner is superior so if you feel like you are leaner and you are the lean one it's unsurprising that you feel in some way superior because you are and um, what's great is that you recognize that you're not because you are you're superior you're not superior than anyone we're all the same and you are people don't look at you and think you're better than us because you're leaner and that's just the story that you've told yourself and that's great awareness um so yeah and I think to bring in stuff into your life I guess this is on the same lines as flourishing in the sense of do you want to be identified is that what you is that what you want to be known as when you die the healthy one or do you want to be known as the like the funny one or the wild one or the creative one like like imagine what you want to be known for what do you want your legacy to be and are you acting in a way that supports that or do you need to bring in some more stuff that allows you to show your funny side or your creative side or your fun side and so I think really looking at what you want like what you want your life to look like or what you want to be known for in some way and bring in actively bringing that stuff in to kind of replace the other stuff so I've got like the biggest frog in my throat <laughs> <laughs> You know what you need? You need some day wine just to wash it down. I do, I do. I'm waiting on my Tesco order. <laughs> oh, that's upsetting. <laughs> I don't I you. You need to have anything in the house. It's very sad times. Oh, that is sad. <laughs> um, this may sound stupid, uh, but is there any evidence that hotter weather can make you feel bloated or puffy? I felt like it for a few days, but I don't know if it's the thing or just some mentality stuff I have to pick apart. Also, this weekend I've mindfully eaten, not overeaten at all, and eaten like I have done in the week. But oh, that's a that's a different question. I'll save that. So, bloating and hot weather. <laughs> um, 
it can impact your hydration levels if you're not hydrated you also will get potentially get like redistribution of blood flow to try and reduce your to try and increase your sweat so that you're cooling yourself down so you get like vasodilation of blood vessels around your skin and your fingers like think about it of course your skin like if you wear rings in in the heat they get tight of course that is swelling and that is a natural physiological response so yes it's probably less likely to be bloating unless you're dehydrated so I would definitely look at your hydration levels because <coughs> it may well be something to do with that. Um, and then if you're wearing like tight clothes or something, then on top of that, that's going to, there is like a, was it on the EIQ Live or was it on the podcast yesterday? I was talking about this, about the tight, tight pants syndrome. Yeah, you said yesterday. <laughs> on the podcast, yeah. And so if your clothes are feeling tight because you're all sweaty, then that can potentially impact like feelings of bloatedness. Um, so it could also be that. It could be that your diet changes a little bit when it's hot. So there's, there's so many things that it could be. And ultimately, if you feel it, then it's probably that, that probably is happening. Um, so keep cool, drink lots of water, um, wear comfortable clothes. <laughs> wear comfortable clothes. And yeah, other things you can do for bloating in general are just like making sure you're eating mindfully, chewing your food properly, um, walking after meals doing some yoga that type of thing like usual stuff nothing to add the the clothes is a big one because if you're sweating as well you're going to have that like tactile feeling Mm -hmm. like against your skin and then body image gets disrupted or gets impacted so yeah the clothes I would say is the biggest part yeah same also how hard is it to find denim shorts that fit you for more than like two days yeah why can why are they impossible to find? Yeah. I, I am I am in that situation. I wore these the shorts I'm wearing yesterday, and I've worn them today, and they do not fit like they did yesterday. <laughs> why is that? Why? I don't know. I've got a very like baggy arse. I'm not a bag. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mm. they're, yeah, they're just not fitting where they need to be fitting, and too tight in other places. Yeah. And it's just they're, even they're always tight around your vagina always and it's like my jeans don't do that so what I mean I don't really wear jeans but so why am I denim shorts I honestly have tried like three or four different sizes of shorts I'll get them and then they'll wear them for like one year and I'll put them on again and and I'm just like these are far too small how did I ever wear these without cutting off the circulation to my poor little vagina it's all it's they're just not like they're not denim shorts are not the one yeah I don't agree I'm the same so if anyone has any suggestions yeah I hate the way they're tight in the leg and then you have like this massive gap then on the waist part so you're like I have to sacrifice one or the other yeah I yeah the tight vagina either it just feels awful. it's just the vagina part it really just I can't do uncomfortable clothes anymore and with summer clothes it's it's, it's hard summer shorts are, shorts are hard I also have a very long torso so when I used to get my bikinis made for competing I always used to have to say, I know where this is going. You remember the the first pair of pants I got from a bikini show, they got delivered two days before my show because they were late. And the material just covered my vulva, just to the point where they weren't going to let me on stage because it was. I don't know. Like, there was one year they bought in a rule and you had to, like, they checked the girls 
did you compete that year? Yeah, that was your, your, yeah, yeah, same. First year I did it. And they were like, no, your bottoms are too small. I have no others. Like, what do you want yeah. me to do? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? It's like, that's not our fault. That's the bikini maker's fault for making them all too small. And I thought, then I had thought, have I just got this really long, like, horse head <laughs> vagina that nothing fits? But it's apparently the torso. So nobody seems to know the charts. Bad times. Anyway. Did you wear them? That that's yeah. like yeah. I had to rule. You can't wear anything else. By that point, you've dieted for four months. You're emaciated. You're hungry. You're tired, and you've bought you paid like two hundred fifty pounds for this bikini that's all sparkly. You don't have a choice. It's basically just a bajazzle. So it literally is. At that point, I'm sure you just don't care if you're exactly, exactly. It's like oh. just get me on the stage so I can get off. Oh, I've got two hernia scars there too so like if you can see my hernia scars you know we're in trouble because they are on the edge <laughs> anyway moving on next question whose question is that I've lost my train of thought Becca's yours I think so is it yeah how to accept my decision to limit my alcohol intake to two to three drinks without feeling guilty um, for being boring I know that I don't enjoy excessive drinking either at the time or the next day, i.e. anxiety and right off the next day. How do I become more accepting of this change in my values and or feel less pressured to please others? You don't need alcohol to have fun. You're not boring because you're not drinking. <laughs> How long does it take to get out of that narrative though in your head? That yeah. took me a long time. Uh, do you know, I've, I've just never... Don't get me wrong, I enjoy a, a several glasses of wine, <laughs> but I've never been, like, it just wasn't, shockingly, going out wasn't for me, <laughs> so sure I do, not, not my bag. Um, so even as, like, 17, 18, that, I did it a few times and it just wasn't, yeah, not my bag. So what were your strategies that you used to, at least, obviously now your friendship group, you know, like they know that's who you are and, and that's what you do. But did you ever have to use certain strategies to manage it? I'd still go out. I just would would alternate drinks because I don't, I, I don't, I know how I feel my best. Even at 18, that hasn't really changed. I know that if I alternate my drinks, I can still have a great time. Nobody really cares because they don't know if, whether, well, they never asked, but I was like, they don't know I've not got something in a Diet Coke or a lemonade. Does it really matter? No. Mm. And if I want a drink, then sure, I'll have it. But I think part of it is just owning that decision, isn't it? And and removing the idea that they're going to make a judgment on you. Like they want you to be a part of it, but being a part of socialising, having fun doesn't necessarily mean the drinking as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't have a huge amount to add other than, like you said, people won't care. I've been out with people before and given them water shots instead of tequila shots and they even have a noise when they were drinking water themselves. They had that person in particular was a reprobate though. But in general, people don't, like people don't notice. I think obviously if you're at a dinner table and, and everyone else is still drinking wine, say, and you say, I've had enough, they're going to notice. But you are an adult. And I think it's about owning the fact that you are an adult with autonomy and you can make your own choices and, it's no reflection of who you are as a person other than probably a little bit more sensible than everyone else and I say that as someone that would keep drinking probably on a lot of occasions so I think I think it's detaching from the fact that like 
often in a lot of these situations not just alcohol we we assume that other people have like this perception of us and we want to we always think again like belonging and connection comes from other people accepting us and so we try and change someone else's perception of us but I think letting go of the idea of that you can you can never change someone else's perception of you you might think oh well me drinking makes them like me more but you getting drunk and being annoying makes them hate you more but you don't know that because the perception that you're choosing for them to think about you is this other one you have no idea what people think of you and unless they vocalize it you've got no idea so why choose to believe that they're thinking you're boring why not choose to believe that they think fair play i couldn't stop it two glasses of wine and if they do have something to say then then again it's about vocalizing your boundaries and be like i want to feel fresh tomorrow or whatever and i think if you've always been someone that drinks a lot around your friends initially they probably will say that's not like you but eventually they'll get used to it my friends when I was competing and stuff got used to it very quickly and knew that I wasn't going to drink anymore despite the fact that when I was younger I would drink a lot and and now I don't drink that much anymore and again my friends are like okay great like it's yeah people just people get used to it after you say it once or twice yeah I think as well the more comfortable you get with it the more others kind of just accept it because if you're like no I'm not going to have a drink or I'm not going to have another one and then you go on a big spiel about why and you nearly even make up why you're not doing it so I have a headache or I have a really early call or whatever um but if you're actually just like no you know they'll know your reasons why if you're close to them anyway it brings on anxiety or you're trying to achieve fat loss or whatever it is um I think you owning it almost like translates onto them then they're like okay grand whereas if you lie and they they'll know they'll be like oh god what's wrong with you Mm. yeah okay i think it's me isn't it george's question how to meal prep and not get discouraged by the thought that this is all the food you are allowed this week and then binge again instead by the end of the week Mm. okay sounds like there's like a lot of rules so in your head you're like this is all I can have because this is all that I've prepared whereas it depends on your goal so if it's like improving your relationship with food you're you're giving yourself unconditional permission to eat so you know that you can have extra if you want it but again if it's for fat loss then that's slightly different isn't it um I think even with fat loss you still have unconditional permission to eat it's it's just checking in with goals with values Mm -hmm. and I had this talk with a client earlier in the week she was mindful she wanted to make sure that she had some things prepped because life is busy and it and but also to ensure that she wasn't getting too hungry so it was I say controlling the food environment but you know what I mean um and but mindful not to make it to to fall back into rigidity and restrictive type mindset so we talked about kind of just prepping bits separately so you can still be kind of take a more intuitive approach but kind of uh, i.e on the day pick what you fancy out of a few options that all still align with your goals um but it's not oh this is all i have for the day Mm. I agree with both of those and I think that the key thing is you are allowed you have permission unconditional permission to eat and to choose whatever you want to eat you are allowed to do whatever you want but you are choosing 
to make these decisions because this is what's important to you right these are your values this is what you say is important to you what a great opportunity and what a privilege it is in any of for any of us to be able to choose to meal prep to choose to eat in a calorie deficit to choose a day wine at two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon what a privilege it is to be able to make these choices and I think always we never force anyone to do anything we're very much like person-centered and client-led and anything that any of my clients choose to do they they know that they're choosing to do it because it's what they want and if that's fat loss and they're hungry they like they're of course always allowed to not be in a deficit they're always allowed to eat more than that if they really want it or they're really hungry but they choose often not to because their end goal is more important to them and so I think reminding yourself of that is like quite I think it's one of those things that like one of those mindset shifts that is crucial oh. <laughs> Anna, oh. I don't even want to know what that was <laughs> your face <laughs> you know what I mean like no you're not turning up my road no okay you are good <laughs> it's a soundproof the office apparently oh. I in my room and I just it was like going through me I hate flies in the room oh same I, I just got out the car and a bee flew in and I was trying to let it get out but I was waiting for ages and I was like I need to go from a podcast and I have a horrible feeling I've just shut it in the car so I'm gonna have to go back and open the door again for him or her because that's bee. No. I know I feel bad especially after listening to the beekeeper of Aleppo I feel like I should like bees a little bit more so anyway moving on um Anna any books you'd recommend for relationship with food? For example, I'm reading The Hungry Brain at the moment and finding that understanding overeating from this angle is helping me slightly. Good choice of book. Mm. Um, the Joy of Half a Cookie. Mm. Um, I really don't know of a lot of good books to do with relationship with food. And I know I say this quite a lot. But I really don't. I think the problem is, is that books are either anti-diet or diet. They very rarely have the principles of anti-diet in the nuance of diet. And that, and, I, and so I don't think, I don't rate them because I think that they're really biased. Books in general are really biased because most, like, they have an angle. They're trying to sell something. Um, so I think if you can be objective and read books. So, for example, the intuitive eating book, the original one, Tribol and or Triboli and Resh, I think that's how you say it um that intuitive eating book is really good uh but do i think that all of the science and it, it's 100 sound no and it is a bit biased but it's a really good book um what else just look at the bookshelf i'd say overcoming binge eating that's oh yeah yeah was that chris chris fairburn is that yes. right yeah fairburn, yeah that's um I didn't realise that that book was actually mandatory for NHS treatment of binge eating. Oh, is it? Mm, I didn't realise that. So that's great. Um, I think not going to help, but on this. <laughs> no, no. But it is true. Like the books are just not great. No, I think like the books that we tend to recommend anyway that are going to help more so your mindset. Um, that's what's going to be helpful for your relationship with food 
Yeah, it's self-awareness that changes your relationship with food ultimately. Your awareness of what your relationship with food is doing for you, the reason where you picked those disordered habits up, what was going on in your life at that point, what again, like what purpose it serves. That's where your relationship with food really changes. Once you've got the initial understanding of like um like nutrition education to some degree and mindful eating and food neutrality and things like that, which come from the anti-diet side of things. Becca. Okay. Um, I'm finding it very hard to date or think or think anyone would want me while I'm recovering from HA and my body changes. How do I stop pushing people away because I'm convinced they won't want me if I keep getting larger? It's definitely, I see this with some of my clients we love to blame our bodies this is going to sound potentially a little bit harsh and I say this because I'm sure I've done it myself and I've had these conversations with many clients right it's easier to blame our body size for our lack of romantic connection than it is to look at other reasons why that might be other reasons why it might be is that you're just not putting in the time to to make romantic connections you are have poor choices in men or women or other you you're so preoccupied by food and your body that you can't switch off when you actually do go out on dates because you're too think much thinking about the food that you're eating and the way that you eat um there are lots of reasons why you're not in a romantic relationship if you want to be in a romantic relationship some of it is just because you've just not met the right person yet and I think that's obviously totally common and I would probably put myself in that category I know I make fun of the choices men that I make but actually these days I don't make bad choices on the whole um but I think we often will blame our bodies because it's easier than accepting the other stuff because the other stuff's harder to work on maybe you're not being yourself when you meet people why are you not being yourself that's some work that you have to go on and so I think it's really important to check in with that because realistically if you've had HA even recovering from HA it's very likely that you're still in a societally normal like what's the word I'm looking for societally praised body shape if your BMI is between 18.5 and 26 you're still in like the kind of non non-weight stigma realm where it's glorified to be in that body size like incorrectly so and that comes into like the weight stigma and internalized and ideal that I talked about on the other podcast recently. Um, so the problem is not your actual physical body size. It's the way that you feel about it. And I think recognizing that is super important. Um, I don't have anything to add on think Yeah, I don't think I've got anything else to say on it. Um, your last podcast definitely I, I actually directed her I think to it okay. um, I listened to you know it's like the association between what you associate your body getting bigger with and what that means about you so it, it's exactly that she's saying if I get bigger I'm not going to be as desirable and I actually said to her it's 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 the opposite that yeah. experience. do you know like it, it, it really is from what I hear and other people say as well yep I agree at 35 years old I could 
categorically say 90% of the men that I've dated in the last, since I was, since my boyfriend at 29, 90% of them preferred me. When Whenever I've been at my biggest now, again, let me like totally state that I know that when I'm at my biggest, I'm still within that healthy BMI range and, and, and that's important to know. But whenever I've got on the leaner side, my feedback has always been like on the when I'm on the bigger side they prefer it I think often it's us as women that tell us ourselves that and our comparison and things like that rather than what is actually true and also what I would say also is when you recover from HA your sex drive is going to come back and what is like we don't do things for our partners right we do things for ourselves but one sex is great and when your sex drive comes back and you want it again congratulations it's a great place to be but also what do you think is more what do you think attracts a person more i'm going heteronormative here and saying a man a woman who wants to have sex regularly and feels connected to them enough to want to have sex with them in a slightly larger body or someone that never wants to have sex with them or feel connected in that way because they don't have a sex drive and again it's really important like there's so much more to your sex drive than your body weight and your hormones so much more and that's way beyond the scope of today and like if you're interested like read mind the gap or come as you are they're both really great books which by the way you can't get in the uae i i, I just told one of my clients to read them and she was like um so yeah oh, like I don't definitely I don't want to diminish it to sex and I don't want to say well we want sex and I don't want to diminish sex drive to your body but obviously they are all related yeah I think as well when you're you're in the mindset of I have to gain weight and I'm going to be gaining weight you can automatically think I'm not going to feel good about myself but what I always try to get across is you actually likely will feel sexier as you gain weight that's a very common one that people are like, oh my God, I feel way better about myself. And I actually, you know, have a libido. Yeah. The opposite. Totally agree. It's me. Um, George's question. How do you learn about your cycle if you have had a hysterectomy, but still have ovaries? So from what I know, anyone that's had a hysterectomy will not have will not menstruate physiologically i don't think that's possible um so you can't learn about your cycle because you don't have a cycle if you still have ovaries you will still potentially see some fluctuations in hormones but there's no way of measuring them unless you're doing it with a medical professional and i'm not 100 sure but i think that you potentially menopause will kick in at some point um from what i know is from what i know when you remove your ovaries estrogen will obviously reduce sorry not when you keep your ovaries estrogen will reduce but i don't think it will be completely gone but your cycle will be completely gone and i don't really think there's a huge amount that you can learn about that other than potentially looking at some of the perimenopausal stuff um because some of that might be relatable but again, I would work with your doctor on this one. This is more of a medical thing that's probably beyond our scope, beyond like the basic physiology stuff of what we know. Uh, it's me, isn't it? 
um, sorry, second part to the question that I <laughs> was just going to do a massive long one. Um, so I've mindfully eaten, not overeaten at all, and eaten like I have done in the week. But I seem to always have the feeling of guilt creeping, like I've messed up without actually messing up or doing anything unhelpful. I'm guessing it's because my old habit would trigger a binge or, or to overeat on the weekend and start again Monday. So habit feelings. Do you think this can be such a thing? And is it just self-compassion that can change it? I don't know if I understand the question. Do you think so, weekends weekends are really, really good? They used to be a bit of a trigger for overeating and we haven't had any any episodes um, recently, but she feels that the the guilt or that she's done something wrong creeping in on that Sunday. Oh, okay. And is it linking back to previous habits starting again Monday and how to overcome that that way of thinking? I would question you on if it is actually feelings of guilt. I would question you on, is it potentially Sunday night feelings of worry about going to work or just guilt about taking like time out of work or like switching off? Um, it might be that you used to attribute it to the food stuff because it was attributable to the food stuff. Whereas now it might be that it's related to something else entirely. I don't think that you can kind of get that sort of post-traumatic feelings based on like old habits. I don't think that you can get that. Um, so I would quite, I would probably question what else it could be and try and get a little bit more granular with it because Sunday night feelings in general are quite common and uh, different feelings for different people. So, or it might be actually that you feel like disconnected from the weekend and or lonely or the opposite so yeah I would just get granular about that yeah yep I was gonna say journal but I'm sure Hannah has told you <laughs> oh she's a journal queen I assure you it's like the the answer creeping in like the automatic negative thought of the Sunday that's what it sounds like it's just learned and habitual at this point maybe Change your Sunday routine. It's me. Okay, Becca, go for it. Okay. Um, okay. If you were a perfectionist, how would you approach this method, the ETPHD method? I know that this is this is not the approach, but it's who I am. So I am trying to apply a lens to this work that is helpful to seeing my way through. Just some background. This client is coming from, you know, like um competing type. Um, rigid kind of track the calories track your steps data and now is finding it difficult to navigate this new way as a perfectionist okay but have tangible things yeah first of all so identifying as a perfectionist we all do it right like listen we all do it but if you wake up every day and you say I'm a perfectionist guess what you're going to want to do guess how you're going to feel when you can't do things perfectly you're going to feel frustrated you're going to feel like your identity is being challenged over and over again when you're not being meticulous and quantifiable and tracking and all of that is going to feel really uncomfortable if every day you wake up and you go this is who I am it's not who you are you have in the past had perfectionist tendencies and you might have perfectionist tendencies now and that's absolutely okay but 
you can channel those perfectionist tendencies into maybe some more healthful ways and remind yourself that a it's not who you are and b it's actually it will do you a disservice in your relationship with food in general it's not just our approach it's if you look at any sort of data or research science on perfectionism and relationships with food they're consistently um consistently associated in the sense of perfectionism is negative for your relationship with food so it's not like it's an ETPHD thing it's this is across the board so it's really important that you start to release yourself from being that person and I think on top of that reminding yourself or figuring out why you are so intent on having that as your identity I've definitely done a reel on this and I might have said on a podcast before but we think that being a perfectionist is doing us a solid like you if you don't want to let it go it's because you think it's helpful to you you think that it makes you do better work you think that it makes you maintain a certain body size or train hard it doesn't it stops you like again if you look at the research it's associated with poorer work outcomes poorer results in business for people who are perfectionists it stops you from challenging yourself because you're scared to fail it stops you from taking risks because you're scared to fail perfectionism is not as kind of misconstrued as helpful and as long as we think it's doing us a service like a, like a service we're never going to let it go so I think challenging yourself around that narrative is probably really important I was, just, I was trying to think I this client won't mind me saying that they are also very They've come from um, previous coaching where it's very data-driven. They track everything. Um, and I think it can be quite useful because obviously when you come from that sort of mindset and, and tracking steps and food and everything else, you're, you're hitting the exact same numbers every, every day and that's been a good day. But I think what it can be quite helpful to do it's to kind of monitor the other things like like we talk about with health, but like your mood, your energy, your sleep and see how they vary day to day, but it can still be a good day regardless. Um, and getting, it is like breaking away from that perfectionist mindset that just because you haven't hit the perfect 10 or whatever that needs to be for you to, to feel like it's been a perfect day, the day's still good overall. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Yeah. And like focusing, you know, at the end of the day, what three things am I proud of, for example, that can be really helpful to have something you're able to look at and write even. Um, yeah. Yeah. So much, so much that people think if you're not tracking numbers, then there's nothing to quantify. But if you've worked with us for any length of time, you'll know how much stuff that we can pile onto you to record and to do and habits to tick off and things like that. There are always things that you can be doing. It doesn't have to be macro steps okay uh, what are your top tips for weeks where your mental health is at a low point and you are struggling to do the minimum but you still have goals that you want to achieve this is Steph's question mm. Mm. <sighs> First of all, accept that that totally happens 
and accept that the minimum is enough and listen if if someone was checking in with me every week and they did the bare minimum every single week I would say right we need to look at this because something's not working but if someone checked in with me two weeks in a row and they said I've done my 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 non-negotiables which should be the bare minimum I've been to the gym twice and I've had protein at every meal and I've had most of my meals have contained veggies great like great I think I think acceptance is really important setting those non-negotiables accepting that it totally happens sometimes to all of us and this is for your like this is your life right there are going to be weeks where your mental health is at a low point there might be months when your mental health is at a low point I mean I did a reel recently about the fact that I would be emotionally eating for like three or four months not every day but it was because it was at a tough point for me so that's going to happen and and accept that that's okay what is not okay is saying I'm just going to sack it all off because of this like because it's a bad week and that obviously ties into the perfectionist stuff if you're struggling with something like depression and you you don't even want to get out of bed then it's definitely worth speaking to obviously your doctor about it to try and get some support with it whether it be medication or therapy or both because that's obviously slightly different and we support mental well-being and like you said Anna earlier like flourishing not mental well we support people with mental illness but not in the sense of cures for depression or anything like that so knowing like where you are on that spectrum is really really important and I think sometimes when we talk about non-negotiables people set them as like my non-negotiables are going to the gym four times a week and just doing 10,000 steps every day and it's like no your non-negotiables is like realistically if you have a really fucking hard week what what do you know what can you commit to that you know will make you feel at least a little bit better so like I said it like sometimes lowering the bar of that's important yeah definitely lowering the bar because if you put too many expectations on yourself like oh the week's not good enough unless I achieve x y and z but you're really only trying to survive the week you're going to end up feeling like deflated so I know I just mentioned going back to like what actually went well today and focusing on that so when you feel like you're I don't know beating yourself up about what you didn't do think about what you did do um and try to have self-compassion with that as well um yeah and it's temporary usually these type of weeks will it will turn around again mm-hmm. mm. okay let's do one last question um we'll stick with the with the theme of non-negotiables any daily non-negotiables for you guys that you do without fail mm. Mm. god that's how low our non-negotiables are <laughs> jesus <laughs> Um, I always get outside even if it's just for 10 minutes I will always get outside and I will always meditate in bed to go to sleep I have been known to do that even when there are men in my bed men, my, like a man not men clarify <laughs> um, I have been known to do that in bed with I have to put my earphones in um, so those are those are my two non-negotiables yeah I always try to have like a mindful coffee in the morning where I'm like okay how am I today 
and I try to have it with no distractions so that's something I do every day um and also get outside I'm kind of forced to do that with the dogs they literally will not leave me not have a walk anyway so but I love it it's part of my day and I don't feel like my day is complete without it so there it might do and also hmm, depends if it's a working day if it's a working day that's different but I'm thinking of the weekend usually I do right just before like I wrap everything up for the day that's good yeah just to because otherwise I'm thinking for hours on end about different things that I should have done or I didn't do so I just write down and then I feel like that's it that's great yeah bit of inspo <laughs> oh my journal's not been open for a week so uh. and include the proud thing as well because if you're someone who focuses on what didn't get done writing down what went well is I find very helpful yeah for sure Anna what's yours um similar in getting outside and some kind of movement like I've taken the I've taken the pressure off even like having to take off gym sessions it just has to be some some kind of movement whether it's a walk yoga gym whatever mm. okay great questions everyone keep them coming and we'll be back next week thanks guys Bye-bye. thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.